As you all know, we libertarians would love nothing more than to lay to waste the very planet from which we draw our substance. Welcome to episode 143 of the Scottish Liberty Podcast. I was recently asked to appear on the show Free Markets Green Earth to discuss an article by George Monbiot in The Guardian, and this is the result. Welcome, Anthony Samarov, to Free Markets Green Earth. I'm your host, Nicky B, here as always with Ben, the Liberty Hippie. How are we doing today, gentlemen? Doing well. Pretty good. It's 3 a.m. in Scotland. I got back to Glasgow not long ago. I was in Edinburgh, as you guys say. We say Edinburgh here. Americans say Edinburgh. Uh, because Yaron Brook was speaking, the famous objectivist. And I interviewed him with Tom Laird, the leader of the Scottish Libertarian Party, for Scottish Liberty Podcast. So that's going to be out this week. Awesome. Um, and then I came right back. Well, not really right back because I hung around. But yeah, I'm ready to go. 3 a.m. Sorry if I sound a little bit cloudy up in places. It's to be expected. I hear. I just assumed it was because you were a libertarian. All right. Okay. I'm just what, bringing this. I'll, I'll bring my maximum charm for 3 a.m. It's just. It just means that I've got this <laughs> nice, slow, soothing voice. I listen to this stuff at 2x anyway, so it's not going to make a difference to me. So. Uh, Anthony actually sent me this article. Um, I don't know. Maybe, I feel like it was probably a month ago. I may be making it longer than it is, but the, it was an article penned by George Monbiot for The Guardian. And this is actually a fairly old article. I didn't realize that at the time I sent it to you. Oh, no, no. But it's, it's, it's interesting because that is one of the angles I want to definitely talk about is, you know, it's almost been a decade since this thing was written. And what do you think has actually changed in the minds of people is one of the things I want to cover later. But I don't really know who George Manbiot is and why I should care about him. Right. In that regard, yeah. So. so he's a pretty well-known leftist in the UK. He's been writing for decades and um, he has a big deal over here. He writes for The Guardian, mm-hmm. which is probably the best known um, left-leaning paper. Um, you know, it's not a far-left communist paper. It's generally for a mixed economy, but they want cleaned-up capitalism, lots of regulation. So uh, they talk a lot about <laughs> inequality. They talk a lot about um, these kinds of things. And um, it's quite a pretentious paper in the sense that it's for people who think of themselves as quite intellectual. You know, it's not, it doesn't, it's not written down. It's not, it's not written to people with low levels of education. It's written in quite advanced language. Sorry for want of a better word. That's my 3am brain not being able to think of another way of saying that. But yeah, so he's, I guess he's someone that's worth, knowing exists because he is often coming up with the he's a good thermometer of what the left tend to think in general and he has said that he was on a quite a prominent british conservative slash libertarian podcast and he was saying on that that you know we should have lower standards of living here in the west so that people and developing countries could have higher standards of living and and all sorts of things like that. Lovely. Sounds lovely. I mean, I think actually if you left things to the free market, that is probably what would end up happening. But Mm -hmm. yeah, probably. Let's not not force it though, you know. But not for the same reasons. I, I think in the long term, we'd all be better off. But I mean, 
we would benefit if developing countries had free markets, you know, what happens in rich countries would happen, which is people wouldn't all be doing um, labor on farms and fairly menial tasks. A lot of them would be getting education so they'd be able to invent stuff that we'd benefit from. I mean, we benefit from stuff invented in America. You benefit from stuff invented in other countries. So the more people who are living in a in an environment where they can become inventors, we all benefit from that innovation. Yeah, yeah. We all listen to the Soho Forum debate. You don't need to drag right. it out here again. <laughs> I don't think I made that particular argument. A- Anthony's putting the mushroom stamp on. I got the future planned out, everybody. Well, I hope that that's the future. Sometimes I get sometimes a little bit scared about um, most people's view of free markets and capitalism at the moment. Yeah, it is pretty, pretty odd. But let's get right on into this here article because this has got a whole lot of meat to it that I just was astounded that anyone could actually write. This is apparently what people think I think, and I can't imagine it being further from the truth. So why libertarians must deny climate change in one short take. I must applaud Matt Brunig's summing up of the inherent conflict between libertarianism and environmental issues. In a simple and very short track, Matt Brunig presents a devastating challenge to those who call themselves libertarians and explains why they have no choice but to deny climate change and other environmental problems. Brunig explains what is now the core argument used by conservatives and libertarians, procedural account of property rights. In brief, this means that if the process by which property was acquired was just, those who have acquired it should be free to use it as they wish without social restraints or obligations to other people. Wow. Their property rights are absolute and cannot be intruded upon by the state or by anyone else. Any interference with or damage to the value of their property without their consent, even by taxation, is an unwarranted infringement. Like, (laughs) what do you think, guys? (laughs) Do you feel like that says what you think? Well, I would like to at least uh, acknowledge the fact that at least nowadays the acknowledge that we have a theory of property being acquired justly or unjustly that such a concept <laughs> even exists in libertarianism wow they, they got one libertarian concept at least i thought before they didn't that they thought we just you know loved the rich and wanted them to feast on the bones of the poor uh, and that all was to play for greed is good whatever whatever way people made a living we do have a theory of the just and unjust acquiring of property and that obviously the government shouldn't be giving a handouts to big business or passing preferential legislations in favor of them. Well, I don't know about you, but I go to bed every night praying to my picture of the Waltons on my, you know, by my bedside. Right. Should we go over a little bit more of this uh, or uh, this this passage again? Sorry. Well, the thing that really astounds me is like, yeah, it's kind of close. The thing that really st- stuck out to me when I was reading this was in particular the line without social restraints. And that to me is the thing that really doesn't ring true. Because right. the fact of the matter is, is no libertarian would sit in there and say, well, I can do with my property what I want and everyone has to be cool with it. Yeah, I mean, no one says you can shoot someone in the head on your property just because it's your property. <laughs> but but it's quite interesting because he says, what is now the core argument used by conservatives and libertarians, the procedural justice account of property rights. But that's not true. The core argument used by libertarians, at least, can't speak for conservatives, is the non-aggression principle. That's almost universally the the core argument that's used by libertarians. So he's not even got that right. Well, that kind of depends on who you're talking to. Because if you were to talk to, like, say, Dave Smith, he would sit there and say that the national or the uh, the 
an app is 100% just property rights. And when you define property rights, that's how you define everything. Who can be like, if a violation of property rights is the aggression. Okay, I understand that case. You, you know, we start with self-ownership. So uh, I think I would have said that saying that kind of muddies the water a bit. Well, it's, it's a level of abstraction to do it that way. It's a different level of abstraction. I guess it's the way that you look at it, which part comes first. I would say we start, uh, most people start with, right, there's a non-aggression ISM, don't hit people, don't steal their stuff. And then there's an account based on that of how property is just justly acquired. But you're going one step further and saying, we're starting with self-ownership, the right to own your body. So yeah, it really depends what order you put it in or how you frame it. I guess for us, you and us, you and I would take that as a for granted situation. Mm-hmm. And it, it works out rhetorically nicely for him in this because he gets to skip over that part. Right. And if you skip over that, now it's just this abstract thing that isn't grounded in a very specific principle. So when he says without social restraints or obligations to other people, well, I mean, that is... Not even humanly possible? Like- no. And also, the he couldn't frame it as the NAP because as soon as he did frame it as the NAP, he'd have to go well, libertarians don't believe that then because, well, obviously you can't use your property in such a way that violates the NAP, which is why he couldn't have the core argument as the non-aggression principle. Well, and hilariously enough, that's actually the crux of what he's about to get to in the rest of this is that, oh, well, everyone's rights infringe upon everybody else's rights. And I don't actually know that there's a libertarian out there that would argue that that's not the case. This just all all the like the non-aggression principle does gives us a framework, a legal framework as to how to deal with that when it happens. Um, And most of the things like we'll get into, he gets real creative in his uh, his visions of a libertarian world run amok towards the end that I think I'm like, I I could think of a whole ton of libertarian ways that that would be dealt with because yes, those things are considered aggression. Can you respond to this then? Their property rights are absolute and cannot be intruded upon by the state or by anyone else. Any interference with or damage to the value of their property without their consent, even by taxation, is an unwarranted infringement. Anything else to add? I mean, to me, the way it's written, I don't inherently see a property right with or see an issue with it. I could go along with that. But, you know, unwarranted is a pretty broad way of putting it. Like, what's what's unwarranted? Like, are you trying to kill me or did you just step over the line? At which point you can kind of get into like some of Rothbard's, you know, what is a just reaction? type situation i guess technically there's also the, the property value like the fact of the matter is, is value is all subjective and i don't if you put a house next to mine that lowers my property value i really can't say anything about that mm. i could try and rally yeah. the other people in the neighborhood to force you out but that's someone can put a skyscraper in your window that ruins your view it might just be tough titties yeah <laughs> I think like, you know, he property rights are, are absolute. Anytime you, you know, make absolute ums, it's just like forget it. It's it's off. There's something in there that that's not going to fit. And like I could see an instance at some point in time where, you know, you have property and you do something with it that, you know, adversely affects your your neighbor's property, mm-hmm. right? It damages it in some way. And the the recompense is is uh is part of your property or something, right? If there's no other way that you can pay back somebody for damaging their property. Maybe it's it's part of your property that, you know, you were dumping the oil onto and it went into to their field or something. You know, like I, I could see ways that yeah, you know, I don't know. It, to me, he's trying to make it seem like uh I don't know, property isn't in isn't necessarily transferable by, you know, any any other means than 
something completely voluntary. I, I don't know. I, I don't think that that's necessarily the case when you get to the courts and whatnot. Let's let's keep going on this because he's he's he it'll he'll get more explicit and kind of where he's going with things. So this, with local variations, is the basic philosophy of the Republican candidates, the Tea Party movement the lobby groups that call themselves free market think tanks, and much of the new right in the UK. It is a pitiless, one-sided, mechanical view of the world, which elevates the rights of property over everything else, meaning that those who possess the most property end up with great power over others. Dressed up as freedom, it is a formula for oppression and bondage. It does nothing to address inequality, hardship, or social exclusion, a transparently self-serving vision. It seeks to justify the greedy and selfish behavior of those with wealth and power. Dun, dun, dun. I feel like I need to grow a mustache that I can twirl. <laughs> Who has he spoken to that uh, exposes this view? Like, as you said, who, where is the libertarians that worship the Waltons and, and want to justify oppression and bondage? It's just a caricature. He's just describing yeah. a caricature of like some, you know, evil robber baron from like. Exactly. Saying it's a pitiless, one sided, mechanical view of the world, that's just an adjective, okay? That. That has no philosophical value whatsoever, which elevates the rights of property over everything else. He did the key thing in the beginning, though, because he starts with something that's an abstraction of the non-aggression principle. He takes that out of our framework. Now, granted, mm -hmm. when you if you start looking at like the Republicans, things that have a less principled way of looking at this than, say, we do in a free market world, then perhaps he starts making. But this is very, very specifically lobbed out to accuse libertarians of a specific thing. Yeah. And this is not resembling what a libertarian would be thinking in any respect. The idea is to protect the minority. Inequality, again, right, okay. Venezuela is more equal than the U.S. says, but do people have higher living standards on average in Venezuela or the U.S.? They're obsessed with inequality in the rich. And yeah, okay, uh, we always have to put in these caveats. Yes, I know a lot of rich people benefit from and it's the government and stuff like that and preferential legislations and they shouldn't but they don't have a problem with that as much as they do wealth they're not bothered about whether wealth is justly acquired or not he's already said that oh as long as it's justly acquired as though that's some kind of trivial point it's not fucking trivial whether wealth as justly acquired or not. Well, it has to be not. It has to be not trivial because if if that mattered, then our you know with us who have a view that taxation is theft. Well, then that means everything they acquire is unjustly acquired, and so they have to right. have that out. They have to have that okay to take. But but yeah, you're you're correct. That's a great addition to the point that I was about to make, which is the other side of the coin. Not only does the distinction between just and unjust property mean that they have to reconsider whether taxation is just. The point is, if property is acquired justly, doing so means you've necessarily benefited other people according to their values in acquiring that property. You know, if you've grown a bunch of apples and you sell them, you know, you've mechanized the sale of apples so that you've sold more of them than any of your other competitors because you can provide cheaper apples and you've sold like, I don't know, a hundred million of these apples and you got one cent for 
each one. And because of that, you're now a millionaire, a billionaire. You've sold an incredible amount of apples. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Well, amusingly enough, if you follow like the perception, like what the average person's perception is of what uh, the profit margin of a business is, it's wildly out of sync with what the profit margins of businesses actually are. You know, they've got it in their head. They're making like 75% profit. Some some businesses don't clear five to 10 no. because it's just the competition is yeah. too steep for them to do it. Yeah, for restaurants and cafes, it's like four to six sometimes. So one of the things is I don't really like to use Jeff Bezos as an example because I know that Amazon has received the handouts and unfair treatment and things like that. But just... As an example, because it's the most easy to illustrate. Yeah, he's super rich. How many books has Amazon sold? Mm-hmm. And they sell them for cheaper than those people would have to pay for them. Otherwise, every time someone gets a book two bucks cheaper on Amazon than they would have otherwise delivered to their door the next day, right? He's benefited them. Their, their living standard is higher. So if he's got one cent for every book he's sold, you know, that would that would probably make him super rich. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know if I don't know exactly how much he's made per book, but if you divided it by the amount of good that Amazon has done in the world, uh, then it's then it's pretty good. Now it could be that if Amazon hadn't pre- received all this preferential treatment, then something even better than Amazon would have arisen on a free market. I don't know. However, it illustrates the point that someone can get extraordinarily rich because of the volume of people that they serve through their business. And he acts like the point of wealth being acquired justly is trivial, but it's not trivial. Yeah, you know, but that's part of it, right? Like it's, uh, there's only going to be like one Jeff Bezos, one Bill Gates, you know, there's only going to be one. But at the same time, you're right. How many more books can I buy now? Because I got those last five books at two dollars cheaper, three dollars cheaper, whatever, right? Like I don't like this analogy, you guys. Like you keep talking right. about books. I've bought way more sex toys than books on Amazon. Okay. So let's just you know, let's frame it up here. But has anyone got super rich off selling sex like Jeff Bezos style rich? I imagine a lot of people. <laughs> I yeah, I don't know, man. It, like it's just it's it's this caricature. It's it's not like uh it's not that bad. You know, like you you, you and he says it does nothing to address hardship or social exclusion. How does he expect the, the how does he expect the sale of goods and services to do that? Actually, in some ways, it does. It's I mean, not sales; you give it away. I mean, I guess that um, people who get jobs from the free market that takes them out of hardship and sometimes social exclusion because they. Yeah, but you can't guarantee that, so you got to give them a government job. But 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 the, the interesting thing is. We don't reward people in sort of non-profit uh, organizations with the same kinds of sa- kinds of salaries. People who are doing benevolent work, that people um, of the same uh, skill and in industry do, because we think if you're helping people directly, you shouldn't get paid as well. So that's a cultural thing, right? I'm not sure that would it's happen in a thought. free market without um, a welfare state, because you know. Uh, people would be looking for the best per- per- person to make the resources go the furthest. But yeah, this thing, I don't know. I don't know what he expects the economy to do 
about hardship or social exclusion. Redistribution. That's always what it comes down to. Bernie Sanders. Redistribution. Okay. Because the thing is, people help other people out of hardship and social exclusion. And people are required to be skilled in, in, in doing that. You know, like you said, just redistributing the wealth isn't going to help those people for long. In some cases, it might make them worse. Like if they've got substance addictions and things like that. Jordan Peterson said um, he knew people that uh, they were fine as long as they didn't have money. If they had money, they'd go blow it on drugs and alcohol in no time. It's a very blunt tool. So I just don't think the government has the, the right incentives to do that. Besides, when people invest in factories and machines, uh, when rich people invest in factories and machines, that brings down the price of goods and services. And that does help by making goods and services cheaper, like, you know, a refrigerator is cheaper than it used to be in real terms, a television, everything you think you can think of. Well, he's about to get generous with us, you know? He can't take a new tack in the argument. I think you'll agree with me. (laughs) But for the sake of argument, Bruning says, let us accept it. Let us accept the idea that damage to the value of property without the owner's consent is an unwarranted intrusion upon the owner's freedoms. Thank you so much for granting us, Lance. <laughs> what this means is that as soon as libertarians encounter environmental issues, they're stuffed. He dug deep. That's a very British expression, by the way. It doesn't sound the same in an American accent. Really? I was going to say, why are you reading this, Nick? I'm sorry sorry to ruin it for you. So climate change, industrial pollution, ozone depletion, damage to the physical beauty of the area surrounding people's homes, and therefore their value. All these, if libertarians did not possess a shocking set of double standards, would be announced by them as infringements on other people's property. So can I bring up bring something up? So this goes back to Morrison J. Horowitz. And do you know what's pretty annoying? That... John, that Monbiot clearly hasn't written any libertarians because Rothbard, for example, addresses this point. Um, so this guy, Morton G. Horowitz, wrote a two-volume treatise named The Transformation of American Law, in which he demonstrates that up until the la- latter part of the 19th century, if a factory owner polluted a stream or the air and that caused financial, physical, or psychic harm in his neighborhood, he was liable for damages under the common law. And then individuals or communities had the right to sue for damages. And if the perpetrator was guilty, then he'd be assessed for a penalty. And obviously economists call that internalizing the external costs of pollution. He could have mentioned that um, economists have a word called externalities. I mean, sometimes they do. So the traditional common law system, which is the basis of the free market, would do a pretty good job of deterring people from polluting in exactly the way that he says. But it's interesting that these collectivists come at us because it was a collectivist argument that changed this. Horowitz showed that later the legal system began to change and a more collectivist philosophy came in where the lawyers and lawmakers were increasingly concerned with what was termed the common good, just like George Monbiot seems to be concerned with the common good, and less about the rights of individuals. So under the individualist view, the law should protect everyone's life to right to life, liberty, and their property, which includes the right not to have your body or your property damaged by pollution. But the new legal system argued that no individual or group of individuals should stand in the way of economic progress of the entire community. So the collectivist said, oh no, you greedy little individual, you don't want your washing covered in soot 
from that factory over there. But don't you know that that factory is creating jobs and wealth? And a few victims, uh, a few victims of pollution shouldn't interfere with the economic development prospects that would benefit the greater good. And yeah, that Murray Rothbard said that uh, this thing about having your washing up that would be covered in soot, or that if maybe a train was going through and sparks came off the train line and it set your crops on fire, you'd be able to sue the the train line owner or, or whatever it is. And remo removing this class action lawsuit thing has held back the development of cleaner technologies. Part of the goals of this particular podcast is to show people what the EPA does and what it does is play defense for big business. That's what it's there to do. And that's the best thing it does. And All by right, best, I yeah. mean best for them. Um, but there is something that I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised you didn't note in this. And this is something that I find very, very interesting is how confused that last paragraph is in there. Because he slips this in as you said, it's all very collectivist, but then he slips in people's homes and therefore their value. It's not up to a, a as a libertarian, I don't know that any of us would recommend anything to protect property value, but that's a very personal thing. That's my property. So he's going to, he's mixing in the idea of a property right in here in a way that it doesn't make sense to do it. Oh, oh yeah. Like it, to me, that's point to me, that's poisoning the well and all this stuff, because I would say all of these things, the, the particular legal theory that you, you, you purport would work and we would support utilizing that on all of these things. However, someone's property value, I'm not going to be support that because that's not an aggression. Unfortunately, a change in the way that things work around you devalued something you have. There's, it's your property, and unfortunately, your property is not valued in the current market. And that's that's one hundred percent subjective. Well, that's my point. That's why we would. I mean, that's it. That's but yeah. but the way that it's stuck into this list of things that I think you could genuinely consider property right infractions and aggressions. That's that. It's dishonest in a way that's really flooring to me. He doesn't get it. I think that you you touched upon a point that's worth expanding on a little bit. You said on your show you 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 demonstrate that the E. Um, the Environmental Protection Agency basically plays defense for big business. Okay, so I think that's uh, worth expanding on a little bit because when a government agency, say, writes a policy document about a river, that policy document usually concerns who's allowed to exploit that river and what measure and, you know, under what circumstances and things like that. Um, I think what this article misses is so much of the property is in the commons, you know, it belongs to the government and stuff like that. So they have the right to say who's allowed to pollute this much or that much. It's not, the river's not, for example, not privately owned. So some um, industrialists can buy the rights in order to pollute the river. But that wouldn't necessarily be the case. That almost certainly wouldn't be the case if the liver, river was had a particular owner because they would want to ensure A, that their river maintained its value or increased its value, B, was being able to be used for its maximum benefit. And um, we, have, we have an entire episode way back in the beginning of the show that we did on private rivers and yeah. the issues oh, with allowing them to yeah. be public property. And finally, you know, if you keep a resource well, it can be used indefinitely. It can be used sustainably. But if a badly kept resource cannot be Farm sustainably. So 
the owners of coal-burning power stations in the UK have not obtained the consent of everyone who owns a lake or a forest in Sweden to deposit acid rain there. So their emissions in the libertarian worldview should be regarded as a form of trespass on the property of Swedish sure. landowners. I would agree. I, I absolutely agree. agree. Uh, and if we had a legal system that would allow us to seek recompense, then that would be an issue. So back to the article. Nor have they received the consent of the people of this country to allow mercury and other heavy metals to enter our bloodstreams. This means that they are intruding upon our property in the form of our bodies. I also would agree on that. I don't see why I shouldn't have some kind of recompense for that. Nor have they or airports, oil companies, or car manufacturers obtained the consent of all those it will affect to release carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, altering global temperatures and through rising sea levels, droughts, storms, and other impacts damaging the property of many people. Hilariously, all evidence to climate-related death is down right now. But the basic premise of that is you're right. I, I, I absolutely, in a libertarian, do support being able to go after companies that do those things that we can provably, we can prove have damaged us. So as Brunig says, almost all uses of land will entail some infringement on some other piece of land that is owned by someone else. So how can that ever be permitted? No story about freedom and property rights can ever justify the pollution of the air or the burning of fuels because those things affect the freedom and property rights of others. Those actions ultimately cause damage to surrounding property and people without getting any consent from others affected. They are the ethical equivalent for honest libertarians of punching someone in the face or breaking someone else's window. <laughs> it's crazy. Do you guys have any comments? Well, it's it's hilarious is that the way that he looks at that, I don't I don't fundamentally disagree with it. It's just... But how, how does he... He's not even bothered to find out what the libertarians have to say on environmentalism. He, he's, he's not even done his research. Well, my big thing is that, so he's, his thing is, is that you have to have, he's living in a world where consent has to be given beforehand to do anything that it goes out into quote unquote public space, I guess is his Christ, dude, you, you need like permission to breathe at that point. Like the, seriously, if, like, if, if, just... if you can't reasonably be expected to get consent of everyone, then you shouldn't have to get consent of everyone. However, if you do do something without consent, you then have to deal with retaliatory measures if those measures should present themselves. And that's the big thing he's taking out of this is, yeah, it could be like punching somebody in the face. And if they sue you, then that's something that you have to deal with. Right. Because in our world, we don't have recourse, I guess, is the big thing. The problem is, is in a libertarian system, we, we would have recourse. I would be able to go after a company for pollution. I think that's that's... A big thing that's missed by people on the on the outside, if you will, right? That like our, our paradigm now, there's there's no real way to go after companies or, or that pollute your land or take that on, right? I'd love to see an eight an eight billion person class action lawsuit against a company for pollution. I'd love to see that. I'm telling you, you watch that Monsanto stuff. It's it's um that's going to be something interesting to to follow. That'll be interesting. Yeah, I don't want to go on a mad tangent, but they seem to have no notion of a how horrendous the Eastern Bloc countries were to the environment. Um, you know, <laughs> Vaclav Havel said that Czech, um, Czechoslovakia, the sorry, the Czech Republic had. Why do we have to go back to the Eastern Bloc countries? Just fucking yeah. look at China. <laughs> right. Okay. So yeah, yeah, perfect. And then and and the ways that capitalism, the system of free markets and profit and loss, actually produce incentives to use resources sustainably. For example, if I'm running a business, mm -hmm. I, when I make a product, 
I want to use as few resources as possible because that's going to be cheapest. Well, moreover than that, like our, our last episode we did specifically was, was talking about this uh, particular interviewee that Alex Epstein had had on. And the interviewer was talking about the ways in which companies will find ways to deal with their waste, ways to sell the mm-hmm. waste for some other type yeah. of use, because it yeah, makes more sense true. to not lose any money. And yeah, exactly. when you get regulation in there, it actually stops the inventive mm-hmm. invention of those types of you know situations. Yeah, and, and Standard Oil famously found hundreds, if not thousands, of new products they could make out of the byproducts of what they were doing. So exactly, I, uh, you were saying. Ben. Oh no! I just uh, I just talked to somebody today that uh, White Oak Farms over here in Georgia, and they're like zero waste, and they you know all sustainable meat, whatever uh, they butcher everything by hand, and there's it's zero waste. Everything, every part of the animal they have found a use for, whether it's you know going to the the store for for packaged meat, or it's uh, animal chew toys, or whether it's broken down into compost that's then, you know, used and sold. And like that, that wouldn't exist if you didn't have, you know, those. The profit motive, basically. Yeah. And, and then, you know, the, the, the mechanism of profit and loss means that when a company makes goods that no one wants, it goes bankrupt. So it limits wasteful production of goods that people don't, aren't going to buy, basically. Well, one of the things that I always think about specifically is that, God, could you imagine if you had a company that was acting not in people's best interests, and then you just had everyone under it say, okay, we're going to stop buying this product until you no longer run the company. If you're making evil decisions with your company, we just won't buy the product. I'm, it, yeah, doesn't take very, it doesn't take very long for that yeah, company yeah, to have to be forced to sell to someone who will yeah. lead it properly. You, yeah, and then then think of the innovations like, say, uh, uh, an LED light um, only takes 15 watts compared to a 60-watt incandescent bulb, and uh, that, that would reduce energy usage. Uh, also, companies will always be looking for ways to reduce their energy uses. I think we've they've found more and more efficient ways to burn the coal and the oil and the fossil fuels because... It's, it's yeah, always incentives. Yeah, it's all... Uh, the smartphone, you know, that's done away with the need for an extra camera, radio, um, television, sound recorder, you know, GPS. You'd have to buy so many things, a flashlight, you know. There's a great meme out there because one of the things that people don't ever take take into consideration is that there's this idea that, oh, we're just going to keep using stuff and it's all going to disappear. But one of the things that's actually happened is that we've just gotten more efficient with the stuff that we do use. And so everything takes less and less than the generation before it to do the same and more. So Yeah, it would be nice to, you know, when someone does invent a way to go and turn all the plastic into in the landfill into oil or something, you know, it just needs to get to the point where someone could do it. The, the process already exists. We're just not allowed to talk about it. But moreover than that, so why can't you burn that plastic? They're going to end up burning coal regardless. So why not burn the thing that we already have? And then you're only putting carbon in the air once so instead of having more carbon. I don't know if it's safe or not. Incinerators burn extremely hot. Is it any less, is, is it burning that any less safe than burning the other hydrocarbons? It's in the end, it's know. all hydrocarbons. I don't know That's enough a, about it. I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert. I'm, my, my point is, is I'm sure that if you're allowed to, someone would innovate to make it safe. Oh yeah, as long as you've got the law there that you can't be putting pollutant um, chemicals that are da- you know dangerous for people to breathe into the air. All right, let me let me wrap this article up here. We'll get, we'll finish finish out like the final discussions on it. So here we have a simple and coherent explanation of why libertarianism is so often associated with climate change denial and the playing down or dismissal of other environmental issues. 
it would be impossible for the owner of a power station, steel plant, quarry, farm, or any large enterprise to obtain consent for all the trespasses he commits against the other people's property, including their bodies. This is the point at which libertarianism smacks into the wall of gritty reality and crumples like a Coke can. Any honest and thorough application, <laughs> application of this philosophy would run counter to its aim, which is to right. allow the owners of capital to expand their interests without taxation, oh, yeah. regulation, or recognition of the rights of other people. <laughs> libertarianism oh, yeah. becomes self-defeating as soon as it recognizes the existence of environmental issues, so they must be denied. Wow, yeah, because <laughs> our only aim is to allow the owners of capital to expand their interests without taxation, regulation, or recognition of the rights of other people. Personally, I don't think major corporations would even exist like they do now because they require protection to get that big. See if this was true. <laughs> aren't the industry putting billions and billions of pounds into the Libertarian Party? Why are they only uh, donating mm -hmm. to Republicans and Democrats? It's ridiculous. Uh, obviously, it's interesting <laughs> that he says, like, recognition of the rights of other people. Why would it benefit rank-and-file libertarians to put the interests of rich business owners above their own rights? It's, it's ridiculous because libertarians only ever talk about rights. But that's how they see us, Anthony. That's his, <laughs> If you've ever listened to a, de a deaf Democrat or a left-winger talk about like the way anyone on the right thinks and the way they do things, all they ask is, well, they just vote against their own interests all the time. It's just what they do. They, they buy into these cults of personality and vote against their own interests. Well, no, they just have, their interests are different than yours. Like you see things working out in a way that they don't work out. And so you, it's so frustrating. Like yeah. he just doesn't, he, he just doesn't get it. He just doesn't get it. He's not like, even trying which it, though. He's not even trying to get it. I, I know. And like, and so is, is it honestly like he doesn't get it or is he just spinning it that way because he knows better and you know, he like, believes family, in, like he believes in his own press for sure. Yeah. Like, which, which is to allow the owners of capital to expand their interests interests without taxation, regulation or recognition of the rights of other people. Like I just, if you know anything about libertarianism, like recognition of the rights of other people, like what, what, That's what, everything. what planet are you on, dude? Like, where are you? Where, who get out of but, here? But no, but he, but it's cause he is extrapolating <laughs> that because dealing with it, he doesn't see how we would think to deal with it. And because he doesn't see that, he thinks that we just don't want to deal with it. That's the thing here. He thinks we don't care about people because he doesn't know that we have a method to what we would like to see happen. And even if he did, he wouldn't believe it would work. So we're clearly just people that are shilling for the man outside of our own personal interests. This um, crumples like a Coke can is quite um, a funny analogy because one of the it things is. that libertarians always <laughs> say is that because of capitalism, Coke cans have got thinner and thinner and use less aluminium because they want to save money on aluminium or aluminum, as you guys say. Oh, come on. I was just about to pick on you about saying it like a brick. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so that's, a, that's a funny one because the cans have got more environmentally friendly over time. But it's interesting that he really thinks this. Like you said, rights of others is like the central plank of libertarianism. I, I think if I could say one thing in defense of the left thinking free marketeers don't care that much about the environment. They are putting hundreds, probably, if not more than that, if not thousands of books out a year on the environment. It's always the environment, this, the environment, that. And there haven't been that many from free marketeers or pro-capitalists. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, yeah. I, I've started writing one twice and I've not finished yet. And I, I've <laughs> 
prioritized other projects. I I think you did, I think you made the right decision. As much as I love to talk about the environment, I think handling the uh, automation issue is probably a solid solid move, like you did with UBI. Yeah, yeah, and that uh, that book will come out further down the line if I finish it. I would like to. Uh, I just I've got other projects that I want to do first. Well, that's why we we started doing this because I I was tired of having superior arguments to the left and feeling like I'm getting dunked on all the time. When, when I first kind of came into this thing, that was, that was one of my, one of my hangups was, was the environment, Mm -hmm. you know, environmental issues. And I I couldn't understand why more libertarians aren't talking about that issue. Right. Why, why isn't it addressed more? And really, and and the more I I learn, the more I, I work through things, the more I figure out, well, when you, when you actually understand the, the principles behind libertarianism and, and what it entails, like it answers all those questions about the environment. It, it's all right there. You just have to look at it and, and figure it out. And, you know, it's, it's not, I don't know, very curious to watch the, the redefinition of, of, I want to say ethics, but uh, value of, of what actually holds value and intrinsic value and, and extending rights to, to not just, you know, animals, plants, land, all this stuff that actually, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I just wish they could take us on in our own terms. Well, and, and I think that's the issue. There, This entire article is is here to do one thing, which is to try and trivialize what our terms are. Its mm. entire point is to make it sound as though property rights are not a way to handle this. We have to be thinking of the human cost. We have to be thinking of the people as opposed to the property. But there's no way to do that without dealing with the fact that human beings and their property all fall underneath this. Because property is the things that you require to actually live. Well, that's it, right? If you figure out property, then everything else falls after it, right? Like all those other human rights that, that come, like they all depend on property. Like you want food, that's that's property. Like all that stuff and, and you sort that and everything will follow. Now, I'm sure uh, Anthony has a slightly different view on how people feel this because I, I don't feel like anybody over in your country seems to be putting much stock in people or what they want on anything resembling an individual basis. Here in America, they at least maybe put a lip service to the issue. But man, there's some horror stories about, you know, people over in the UK. Right, right. Yeah, no, no, no. there's no idea. For, like, the, the, the medical system is just seen as, as just a religion. You don't, you don't own your property as much as you don't own yourself, <laughs> I guess. Well, the, the, the thing that annoys me is how can he be saying things like the central plank is to allow capital to the owners of capital to expand their interests? Uh, um, this is this is our 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 aim. When you know you have Matt Ridley probably a couple of years before this um, article came out writing the Rational Optimist, and, you know. Always, Deirdre McCluskey wrote her books on bourgeois equality about how capitalism enriches the poor. And obviously, since then, Johan Norberg's done progress. Stephen Pinker's did uh, Enlightenment Now. Like, I know he's not a libertarian, but well, so you've actually read Enlightenment Now? I've not read it, but um, there's he he does talk about government as a good. The reason I ask about it is because that particular book I have read it and. It infuriated me because the yeah, entire book. I heard that from a lot of libertarians. Well, and the thing wasn't that like he 
everything he said, I, for the most part, I agreed with. My my issue was that he'd sit there and he'd have an entire chapter that I could hold up and say we're right with. And then he'd make an arbitrary distinction. It's like, I know I just read or gave you an entire chapter about how capitalism has saved the world and all of humanity. But we still need governments in general to do away with it. Like he just make these arbitrary th- decisions because they sounded good, I guess. He would completely uproot his entire argument constantly in the book for the sake of, I guess, appearing moderate is what it felt like. Right, right, right. No, I think those are his actual views. I don't think he's trying to appear moderate. I think he actually is moderate. You know, he came from the left and it took him a while to see what the benefits of capitalism were. And that's what he was bringing forth with Enlightenment. But only moderated capitalism. Can't let it run wild. Yeah, sure. And that's most people's view. It doesn't matter how much good it's done for the planet, even being hindered. Yeah, and I think the thing is, libertarians put a lot of emphasis, even Rand, you know, the one that that claimed that she was for selfishness, um, was big on how capitalism enriched the average man. She was really big on how much progress capitalism meant for everyone, not just the rich. Yeah, it does. That's what, that's what it does, right? So, but he can't even address that. He can't even go, the libertarians are saying that, you know, capitalism is helping everyone. As you've mentioned multiple times in here, it's clear he's never met or talked to a libertarian. He has no idea what we actually think. He's condensed it down into a mustache twirling Bond villain, and that's what he's going to run with. So one of the things that we did mention, this was in older articles, it was in The Guardian in 2012. Do you feel like anyone's impression of what libertarians think has changed in, in since this article was penned? Do well, you feel like the world is more open to us and like what we view on the environment or we're just still bond trolling villains? I can't remember what it was like in 2012. What year was 2012? Yeah, I don't know, man. It was a decade ago, basically, is what it amounts <laughs> to. I didn't have a kid. Like, Obama was in office. Yeah, it, I, I mean, 2012, I was still, like, blind to everything, head in the sand, just apathetic, you know, nose out of politics and, yeah, and whatever. Um, I was already a libertarian. I was already a libertarian in 2012, very staunch uh, by that point. I think that was before I moved from Glasgow to Edinburgh. I moved back from Edinburgh to Glasgow since. So, so... I remember I was probably still quite heavily influenced by Stefan Molyneux at the time. I, I know I went off Stefan Molyneux after about 2013. I, I, don't, I just know that there were less libertarians in the world at that time. Now, that doesn't mean that the perception of libertarians has changed much. At least they kind of talk about us a bit more in the media now than they used to, which means usually to attack us, but that means that they actually realize that our ideas have to attention. be reckoned with to some degree usually to make fun yeah. of us hey man any any uh any press is good press i don't know it's not something i i've really i don't know because I, I can't remember back then what what things were saying but uh or things were said rather but um i, I mean i guess in that thing i i'm amused that people were talking about libertarians at all because it does often seem like we're completely yeah whatever I, ignored most of the time being talked about in 2012 was, is actually a little bit of an achievement i didn't know that we we had enough notoriety that far back to even be addressed although i guess ron paul would have been going for his uh, second crack at the whip. Right on. Well, this has gone on for much longer than I wanted to keep you up this late. Didn't you want to ask about climate change or something? I mean, that's we got a whole other hour in this, dude. I mean, like, <laughs> come on now. No, we're, we're good. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Anthony. 
It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me on. Listening to people try and tear us apart. Yes, environmentalism will tear us apart again, as the famous Joy Division song once quoth. (laughs) (laughs) That's for your other show, Nick. We'll have to get you back on. Liz hasn't had enough Scottish people in her life lately. Well, thank you very much for having me. And uh, people at home, if you like the sound of me, if you if you don't know me yet, you can find more on Scottish Liberty Podcast. Um, but don't forget to make plenty of time for Nick and Ben. <laughs> I mean, if they like you more, man, that's 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 a win in your there book, you right? Go. So thanks a lot, there. Appreciate it. Catch you guys. Bye bye. Take it easy. Okay? <laughs> Later, man.